When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is Iris Berry from Punk Hostage Press, and you're listening to the Devil's Music Podcast with Pleasant Gaiman. Pantheon Podcast presents from Hollywood, California, the Devil's Music with Pleasant Gaiman. You are invited to join the Hollywood princess as she explores her lifelong pursuits in the occult, sex, love, and that sinful rock and roll. Ladies and gentlemen, step into the dark parlor of Pleasant Gaiman as she brings you the devil's music. Hi, I'm Pleasant Gaiman, and welcome to The Devil's Music, a Pantheon podcast. As the devil himself apparently once said via the Rolling Stones, please allow me to introduce myself. I'm a rock and roll witch from Hollywood, California. My obsession with music and the occult started at the age of 12 and is still going strong. During the 70s, I was one of the first punks in Los Angeles. I worked at the Whiskey A Go-Go and had a Xerox fanzine called Lobotomy, which led me to writing a rock and roll gossip column in the LA Weekly, which in turn led me to writing for every major rock publication you could think of. In the 80s through the 90s, I fronted three bands. I'm a best-selling author with eight books out and more on the way. For the past 30 years, I've been a professional dancer who's toured around the globe teaching and performing, and you've probably seen me dancing in a number of music videos, feature films, and documentaries. I'm also an actor with several film credits. Find out more about me at PleasantGaiman.com. I'm really excited to be a part of the Pantheon Podcast Network of rock and roll shows. Everyone at Pantheon tells spectacular stories about the music we love so much, each one with a different twist. Find them all at PantheonPodcast.com, as well as on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Radio.com, Pandora, hell, I just had to say that, anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. If you like what we're doing here, Head on over to PantheonPodcast.com and share a show with a friend, or I'll put a spell on you. Kidding. Oh, I should have known you'd beat me that way. 
Hi, this is Pleasant Gaiman. Welcome to The Devil's Music. Today, my guest is Liz Wirth. She's a tarot reader, instructor, and author of two books on the subject. I became kind of enamored of her through stalking her on social media until I learned that we had a very, very um, similar past. And then I became obsessed with her. <laughs> She was heavily involved in the Canadian punk scene and her book, Treat Me Like Dirt, An Oral History of Punk in Toronto and Beyond, was hailed as being groundbreaking and trailblazing. She's also a poet and a witchy performance artist. She's part of Salt Circle, a combo that does ritual, spoken word, and noise. And now she's about to become my best friend. <laughs> <laughs> I hope. <laughs> Hi, Liz. How are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you? I'm pretty good. I'm really stoked to talk to you. I think yeah, thank you. I'm excited. Yeah. And because, <laughs> I mean, really, like, you're so much younger than me, but when I started seeing all the stuff you do, I, our paths have an insanely similar trajectory. And I'm sure people, people probably say this to you. I don't know, but this always gets said to me, like, Everyone is like, how the fuck do you go from punk rock to tarot? <laughs> and yeah. to me, it's totally normal. I'm sure to you too, but let's maybe talk about that first. Yeah, I, I think about this a lot. And to be honest, I don't, I don't actually get the question as much as I expect to, and I'm not always sure why. You know, <laughs> sometimes I wonder if people uh, who knew me first through, uh, treat me like dirt and and other music writing that I had done if maybe there was something about me that just didn't surprise them when I came out as a tarot reader or if um maybe it was too outside of the territory as well where they're like I don't know what to do with that because sometimes in you know in in punk it's 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 kind of um you know it's one of those it's one of those types of subcultures where you think anything goes, but then you get in there and you realize that it's not always the case. And sometimes it can actually be very uh, conservative towards spirituality. And I find in, in certain punk communities, um, there's not always as much open-mindedness towards uh, religion, spirituality, new age practices. Uh, sometimes there can actually be quite a strong aversion to it because it's, it's, um, I think there's a culture there that that lends more towards rationality, logic, uh, and and something impersonal sometimes too, right? An alienation of the the personal aspect of ourselves. Yeah, I think maybe, but I mean, also we we both came up in insanely different punk scenes. Like mine, mm -hmm. mine, mine was like you know that that gray area of glitter rock. Um, from like 75 to like the end of 76 that just morphed into punk for many people you know mm -hmm, mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. there was like you know Hollywood has always been very witchy and woo-woo and you know later called new agey and um a lot of the kids that were into the scene were, were already products of that from their parents and from all the hippie Laurel Canyon mystical kind of stuff um but yeah so like what 
when when did you discover punk just so I can get like exactly a time frame or how did you become involved in it? Yeah, I mean, I don't know even if I would say, so yeah, I, I don't know how much I consider myself to be involved in punk, to be honest, because every, you know, I think I had, an, again, a certain idea of, of punk that I know, I don't feel I ever personally really found or experienced myself. Mm. Um, and I also, you know, I've always been interested in a specific time period in punk that, and, and I was not alive for that time period, right? I was born in the early eighties and a lot of the, the bands that I was interested in uh, had already happened by the time I was even born, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. So there's that too. And, and that's still the case. Most of the music that I listen to now um, was made in the seventies or eighties. And I've always been like that. You know, I was never really into new, a lot of new music or new culture, current culture. Um, I've always been interested in the historical aspects of things and really understanding uh, subcultural movements as well in the context that they happen in. Exactly. Yeah, me too. I mean, that's why yeah. I, that's why when punk was happening to me in the 70s, I was I was so fucking excited. I was I was writing in my diary. This is like Paris in the 20s. This is like the mm -hmm. East Village. This is like, you know, and then I thought, am I aggrandizing this? And then I realized later I wasn't, you know, is that kind of a crazy mm -hmm. like um, catalyst moment? And everyone was just full in from the get go, at least where I was, you know, so that's mm -hmm. that's also why I think it's it was so interesting when I started finding that out about you that that it was just like continue I, I was like I was already like you know probably I was a grown-ass legal adult by the time you were born <laughs> yeah yeah and you know a lot of the people who I wrote my book about were as well right and and they they used to say oh you're so young you know how is it that you're doing this and I was like well you were you know my age when you were part of this really historical time and you were you know part of this you know what I consider a really important uh movement and so I you know I don't think that it's 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 odd or unusual right we always have younger people who come out and they they have they have enthusiasm right and they you know they commit themselves to things so you know it's it's normal that I think we go through those cycles in age um but I, you know, I came to punk, I, I, you know, I saw a video by the Ramones on TV. Uh, you know, I live in Canada and, and we, we didn't have MTV when I was growing up. Uh, we have much music. Much music, and, yeah. Yeah. I and, took it a uh, lot in Canada, a lot. So I know. Okay. So, you know. Probably you know, yeah. while you were in diapers. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I saw this video for, for um, the Ramones song, Pet Cemetery, uh, which is a great song and a great video. And I was just like, what is this? This is great. This is so great. And then that was really how uh, it started for me. I, you know, um, the Ramones are, are, are definitely one of the most influential punk bands for anyone who's listening, who doesn't know. I'm sure they're listening to your, your no, podcast, so they know. They all know the Ramones, right? Explain that one, yeah. um, but, uh, you know, I just started following that thread and that was a, actually a great band to be introduced to because there were other punk bands that were current and popular at the time and I think that if I had gotten into those bands I may not have had such an introduction to the history of punk but getting into the Ramones first you know really showed me where did all this start and and I thought oh this is interesting and the thing that I really liked about the bands from 
the earlier eras and, you know, and those first cities that really birthed punk, right? The bands that came out of New York and London and LA is that they were all really different. There was nothing, you know, everyone had their own thing, their own style. And that's really what I found exciting about that era and that culture was that it seemed like you could kind of be whoever you wanted to be and do whatever you wanted to do on a creative level and find a place in the world. And that was really what drew me to that, that music and those artists was that type of philosophy and idea. And again, I know that those things don't always exist everywhere, right? Once we're, we're in there sometimes, um, but that's what I took from it. And I think that that's always what has informed me more than anything else. So when did you, when did you start writing about music? I started how, a fanzine. How old were you? I was, I started a fanzine when I was in grade nine. So I would have been about 14 or 15 and I was really into fanzines. Um, you know, so again, you know, for a, <laughs> younger people out there that's what we had for the internet <laughs> no that's how I did that too that's how yeah. I that's how I got hired to write for like the the local like alternative paper and then you know all the music magazines I would just like you know after after I, because I used to read the magazines uh, uh, like mainstream ones and be like this person mm-hmm. has no idea what this record was really about or <laughs> you know, I mean, I was like looking at it at, at the time thinking, oh, there's like just an old idiot, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, it's interesting. I'll, you know. What was your fanzine called? Wait, what was it called? I had, I had a fanzine. So I was, you know, I, I also was really into goth bands like Sisters yeah. of Mercy, Bauhaus, Secure, all of that. And so I started a goth fanzine and yeah, this was probably around 1996. I don't know, seven or so, 1997, maybe. It was called As the Last Breath Escaped, which is very dramatic and very goth. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, you know, it was just, it was like a bullshit thing. You know, again, I was, you know, I was just uh, a teenager, but I I would write about a lot of things that I would probably still write about now, to be honest. Uh, I would write about different types of divination. I remember I was really interested in, you know, tea leaf reading at one point in time. And, and I would, I wrote a little article about my interest in tea leaf reading. Uh, I wrote about bands that I liked. Um, sometimes I'd write about shows I'd gone to. I would review CDs from my own CD collection. Uh, you know, it was pretty cute. I would write about my love of the cure. Um, yeah, so it was, you know, that's really what, what I was doing. I don't think I probably thought it was cute at the time. I took it pretty seriously. But, you know, back then you could go down to Tower Records and they would carry your zine, right? And you could buy a bunch yeah. of other zines from other people. And I found out about a lot of music by reading other people's fanzines, you know, because it was really hard to find bands and it was hard to uh, get connected into things in the 90s, right? Before. Oh, yeah before we had social media, before Google. Yeah, and so that was just, you know, that was really how I found a lot of things that I ended up liking. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. Or just from Mm -hmm. going out, which was a crazy concept. Like you just had to go out every night. (laughs) I talk about this so much on this podcast that I think people are thinking that I just record the same sentences over and over. (laughs) Let's, Let's take a little break to hear some music.
Anyway, I'm back with Liz Worth, and we're, we're finding out that like somebody cut a soul in half at one point and um, <laughs> made it into a girl in Canada and a girl in Hollywood. <laughs> um, so, um, your your did your readings and and interest in tarot like sort of come concurrently around the same age? Yes, I was always interested in uh, in readings and things like that ever since I was a kid. Uh, it's funny what you say about you know growing up in California, right? Because I think in Canada, you know, you know, especially where I live in Toronto, it's a bit of a different culture. We have there's certainly people who are interested in those things, but it's not as it's just not as much of a, a big part of the context here. Um, but in my home, it was definitely present because my mom was really interested in psychics and she would have psychics come over to the house and how, you know, she'd have parties and they would read the room and everything. And uh, they would record everything on a cassette. And then she'd let me listen to the cassettes later. So it was pretty cool. Right. Like, you know, uh, it wasn't something that was hidden from me or I wasn't discouraged from exploring those things myself. And so when I was, 13, I got a little book from the grocery store about fortune telling. And uh, there was a chapter in there about how to read playing cards. And I spent my whole summer when I was 13 studying that chapter in that book and teaching myself how to read playing cards. And from there, once I got into high school, I got a tarot deck, but I had no idea what to do with it. You know, I was very impatient as we are when we're teenagers, and I didn't really understand tarot because I didn't know a lot about it right I thought that um it was just something that would instantly happen uh right you get your deck of cards and away you go and I, I didn't really realize that you actually have to learn what tarot is and what are you doing with it and and that there is more study and practice involved so I was a little bit discouraged from tarot early on but the seeds had been planted for sure so yeah I definitely had interest in in all of these worlds right uh music and divination and and all of that were for me they were commingling even though they weren't necessarily commingling with a lot of other people I was hanging out with but but those were um both very strong interests for me yeah yeah definitely me too and um what was <clears throat> what was your first deck was it like a writer Waite Smith, because mine was a Marseille deck, so I could kind of figure out the um a little bit of what was going on with the major arcana, but the minor arcana just looked like geometry or something, which I fucking couldn't stand. <laughs> oh man, it's so interesting. I, you know, I I really appreciate Marseille decks now. Oh, me but, too. I use them um, all the time. There, it's such a different kind of reading, and you know. Even today, I still I still love a good Rider Waite Smith, uh, yeah, but I love Marseille decks. Like I, you know, I it's just I and I, I really admire readers who are proficient in that that style of reading because it is actually very different. You know, yeah. um, my first deck was a Dragon Tarot deck, uh, which again I, I I had no there was no thought behind. <laughs> this purchase it was you know had dragons on it I thought that'd be cool and also you know I lived in the suburbs and again in the 90s there just were not a lot of options uh, I think you know now if you go to most 
chain bookstores, even at the mall, you'll probably find a pretty decent amount of tarot decks these days. At Walmart, there's a, there's a fucking, there, there was like a giant selection of tarot at Walmart in real life and online. <laughs> and I'm like sitting here, like the first time I saw it, I was just, in, it was incomprehensible. <laughs> It's, it's so, you know, people these days, like, I think anyone who's getting into tarot now has no idea how good they actually have it because it was really hard to find tools. You know, it was really, it was really hard to find a good tarot deck. Um, you know, I think when I was probably buying my dragon tarot deck, there were maybe two or three other options on the bookshelf. Right. And that was it. So, and it wasn't that people weren't making tarot decks. It's just that you couldn't find them, right? You had to go to specialty stores. It wasn't mainstream. And if you didn't live, you know, maybe downtown or close to a cool metaphysical shop, then there wasn't a lot that you could do, especially if you were a young person like me and I didn't have a car and I didn't know where to go. And I didn't, you know, it's, it, it was just a different time. Yeah. That was exactly the same for me, except like, you know, 20 something years earlier, like, (laughs) yeah. But yeah, it all seemed to go hand in hand with like, it makes perfect sense to me, all of that kind of stuff. And then um, especially like when when goth started infiltrating like early punk, which was pretty, it was pretty early on, at least in LA. And it wasn't a subgenre yet. It was just like, there was people that wanted to to look like, like here in LA, there was people that wanted to look like, um, you know, 1920s, fortune tellers and you know live out the whole Harry Crosby like dark sun type thing and then there was um like even you can even tell like if you see some of X's album covers there's so much occult like looking art and and like like you know old hoodoo bottle kind of references and Mm -hmm. things like that you know so in in LA it was just you know there was always a bunch of women running around and like fucked up black slips and petticoats and stuff like that before you know that was just considered as normal as wearing um you know like messed up jeans and motorcycle boots with bandanas tied around them or something yeah yeah and I think too it's it's just again a it's it's also part of that that idea that the you know the color black is really part what or at least used to be really strongly associated with rebellion right now again it's so these things are so mainstream you can even buy goth clothing at forever 21 now and everything you know but they some of that stuff used to really 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 stick out right like if yeah. you walk down the street looking a certain way you were not you didn't always feel safe people would really call you out for wearing a you know a full black outfit but now oh. it's it's completely different right? well that was true still in the 90s that I made because like in the oh, 70s yeah. people would throw garbage at us out of car windows <laughs> and stuff. you know what I mean <laughs> I, mean, I never had garbage thrown at me but it, I, again it may be different you know based on on where you're you're growing up but I grew up in a suburb of Toronto that is so redneck. It's still, it's still what, really what redneck one? now, to be honest. It's called, it's Etobicoke and South Etobicoke. Um, Etobicoke is a big place. It used to be its, its whole own separate city from Toronto and then everything amalgamated uh, at one point. So now we're just all one big city. But the area that I grew up in, it's just, as soon as you get out there, it's like all of a sudden, you know, 
guys are yelling at you outside their, their you know, their, from their car window and everyone drives big trucks and everyone's into hockey and fights and they just want to go to the bar on Friday and get drunk and beat someone up. It's, you know, it's, it's not um, always the kind of place where people are necessarily uh, interested in in, okay. in culture and music Art. and creativity. So they see someone walking down the street and their, you know, their first impulse is to yell freak out the window. Right. And, uh, and that was, it was always like that. I had friends, they were, you know, guy friends who had a much harder time with how they dressed, especially if they wore eyeliner or nail polish or something, because that was really seen as very threatening to uh, some other guys in the area. And, and they really sometimes had to defend themselves for that. Yeah. 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 Hollywood was, um, Hollywood was not really like that, but, um, all the, you know, all the people that were coming from suburbs were the ones that were, you know, cause in Hollywood, I mean, there was always like, you know, full, full drag queens, like wandering around the streets and, you know, just like crazy, amazing freaks. Like before our homeless, um, thing got to the point where it is now, cause now it looks like a, now it looks like a road warrior movie um, mm. all over the place. It's it's insane. Like like people that come here now, now that there's tourism back, they're not their jaws just drop. Oh, but wow. in those days, it was um, you know, just freaks on the street was was regular in Hollywood, and Hollywood's like a big area of LA, you know. Mm. Um. So, what were your favorite bands when you first when you first started getting um? you know, into the musical subcultures of, of Canada? Yeah, that's a good question. So the first band, okay, there's, I have to, I have a two-part answer to this because it's a little bit complicated, complicated. So Canadian punk, that's what you're asking about, right? Yeah. Like who are the yeah. Canadian punk bands to listen to? So Canadian punk, uh, at least that first wave of Canadian punk was highly, highly, highly underdocumented. And so, uh, there were not a lot of options to even find that music um, because a lot of those bands didn't actually even put out full albums. Some of them just had seven inch singles. Yeah. And when I was starting to get into that music history here, um, a lot of that had just fallen into obscurity altogether. But how I found out even about those bands was actually through a novel by uh, a writer who is no longer alive. His name was Daniel Jones and he was based here in Toronto and he wrote a book called 1978. And it's a work of fiction, but it's based off of real people, real places, real bands. And in that book, he references a lot of the punk bands that were active in the late seventies here. And when I read that, I thought, oh, this is really interesting. At the time when I read that book, it was again, the late nineties. And I was obsessed, obsessed, obsessed with the clash obsessed. Uh, that was my, you know, that, that was my, my, one of my favorite bands at the time. And, and I would listen to the clash almost every day. And, and I was, I was thinking, wow, it, you know, I, that this novel kind of opened my eyes to this idea that there was, um, you know, a, a a punk scene that was maybe not unlike the scene that had happened in London or LA or New York. And 
I thought, oh, this is really interesting. I'm going to start to, to look up some of these bands. And there were just a couple that I had heard of because they were still active. Those two bands were Teenage Head and the Forgotten Rebels. And both of them are from Hamilton, Ontario. Yeah, Teenage Head. You know Teenage Head. Okay, yes. perfect. Yeah. Every, this is the, everyone knows Teenage Head. And, and uh, yeah. I, yeah. And then I used, I used to tour with DOA all the time, but I think they started a little bit later. Um, they're yeah they're out on the west coast yeah so they're quite yeah they're quite not, far yeah, from Vancouver yeah different different scene and and DOA had an, a different advantage because they could go up and down the west coast whereas when you're out in Toronto you know you can go to New York City yeah you can go to Montreal but it's a bit of a different tour schedule depending on how much time and money you have to right and uh and so that was really um my entry point was this novel and realizing that uh you know it helped me connect the dots with Teenage Head and Forgotten Rebels because I would see their flyers on the telephone poles around here all the time, gave me some context for those bands. And then uh, from there, I found uh, other bands like the Vile Tones, the Diodes. Oh, I love right? the Diodes. Oh, you do? Yeah. I got Red Rubber Ball right when it first came out, that single. Let's take a little break and then we'll, we'll get back and start talking about some other things. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once, new quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. So they had, you know, I mean, they were such a successful um, band from the scene, really. They they actually put out uh, several albums and they're all really, really great. Um, and, and they're, yeah, one of my favorite bands uh, from that time period. I think that um, they were so, you know, well thought out and their songs were really well executed. And uh, I just, I you know, I, I love... I love their sound, but there was a little bit of synchronicity happening when I started to find out about those bands, especially the diodes, because the diodes had just reissued a, a best of CD. So it was like just kind of right timing that I found out about this band and then I could actually go and look for their CD and find it, <laughs> um, which again was really, you know, something that was important uh, at, at that time because we're, we're talking about 
you know, um, again, pre-social media time, right? The internet was around by then, but um, still, it was still hard to find people and, and no one had a MySpace uh, page or anything up yet either, right? Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so those are really my entry points. And, uh, and, and then from there, it was really just kind of tracking things down and, and finding what I could and sometimes having to yeah, look for some, you know, really obscure seven inch singles and things like that. But, um, mm -hmm. that's so cool. Yeah. That's, yeah. And then, um, disgusting is one of my favorite songs, but it's such a great song. <laughs> yeah. Know, yeah. Let's, let's have a musical break to play fucking disgusting by teenage. <laughs> nice day for a party. Isn't it? So here I am back with Liz Worth, and um, I I heard or saw on Twitter or something in the modern way that you're working on a vampire novel. I I finished a vampire novel. Yeah, I yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's done. Uh, if anybody wants to publish it, let me know. <laughs> What's it called? <laughs> it's called His Name Is Matter. His name is Matter, like M-A-T-E-R. Yeah. 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 Um, so did you become obsessed with vampires through Anne Rice or was we were already into them from horror movies and stuff? Uh, so Anne Rice, I mean, Anne Rice, oh yeah, Anne Rice was so popular in the 90s. Uh, yeah. You know, Interview with the Vampires, a great movie. Um, and that was a huge movie when I was in high school. It's still, it's still so good. I think it really holds up. Um, yeah, I've read, uh, I've read all those Anne Rice vampire novels, but my, my biggest, my biggest love, uh, in terms of vampire fiction is Lost Souls by Poppy Z. Bright. Oh, she I don't know if you know that one. yeah, I know who that is. Wow. Yeah. 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 That, that book, I, I was, again, I was in high school when I read it and this guy in my art class looked at me one day he was sitting across from me and he just looked me up and down and he said I'm going to give you a, a, the name of a book you should read and he wrote it on a piece of paper and slid it across the table <laughs> to me and that's what it was and I went to the mall after school because he was a really you know he was cool I was like this cool person is is giving me his book recommendation and I went to the mall and I got a copy and I read it obsessively and I still reread it every once in a while it's such a good book I love doing that uh, I haven't yeah. had time to reread stuff lately, but like sometimes I'll have to go and just look at like a particular page somewhere or something, you know, mm -hmm. it's, so, mm -hmm. it's so cool. Um, mm -hmm. So when, when you're, um, when you're doing tarot, let's talk about tarot for a minute. Yeah. Yeah. We don't, we don't talk about, um, we talk a lot about music on this and then we do metaphysically stuff, but um 
I know there's there's such a giant resurgence in tarot for the past couple of years, and it seems like it's not going away at all. You know, like do you, do you get readings like all the time? You mean do I do I purchase readings for myself? No, or no, do do, no. Do people just like 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 my my inbox like on Instagram is you know it's just like nonstop like people wanting especially during the pandemic. Did you notice that? You know, to be honest, during the pandemic, I actually closed my books to readings because I found it was so hectic and in, extremely stressful. And on, on a personal level, you know, my mother, my mother died uh, last year, a year ago, and she had dementia and I am an only wow. child and my dad, my dad is not alive anymore. So I was really caught up in kind of just moving through that last year of her life with her. And I was like, you know what, I cannot manage people's anxiety as a tarot reader and how, you know, deal with what's going on with my mom. I needed, you know, more flexibility in my schedule, but I found also that the clients um, that I started to get during the pandemic were just, it was like zero to a hundred with some people. And I, they, some of the things that they were looking for were not things that tarot can provide, right? Like, yeah you know, asking questions about when will the pandemic be over and yeah. when can I go back to work and all of these things. And, uh, I just thought, you know what, I'm, I need, I need to take a break for myself for a while. Um, I have some people who I work with in a, a, a mentorship capacity and we work together for a year at a time. So I've just been focusing really on those longer term, deeper client relationships rather than doing a lot of one-off work because for my own mental health and my own stress level, Oh my gosh. I had some days where I, I actually caught myself grinding my teeth so hard. I could not open my mouth because oh, I know. Um, some I, of those I, readings I, were so stressful. Another yeah. thing we have in common. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just, uh, you know, sometimes you have to really prioritize your own well-being as a reader, I think, and, and just, you know, realize when, when things are, are, uh, not feeling, right or healthy for you. And yeah, I, something really did change though with the pandemic. And I don't know, I don't know if it's necessarily tied into the popularity of tarot. It must be right. There must be some kind of crossover between the two, but I did find that that, that the client work changed a lot. Yeah. 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 And I mean, also, you know, cause the world changed a lot and it was so unsettling to so many people too, mm -hmm. you know, what was, mm -hmm. um, what's like, do you have any meetings with anybody that that stuck out like in, in just terms of um craziness I mean like what they wanted you to read on or um just like I've had some readings that that were so wild to me like like lots of like I always use three or sometimes four decks like when mm -hmm. I'm reading because I don't want to shuffle like okay. you know, to keep to the time and then also if, if cards repeat I'm telling this for the audience not only you know not to you because I know you know this if cards repeat, it's usually um, something significant that the person needs to know, the person you're reading for needs to know. So like I had one reading that was like all tens and aces. That was all, all it was. Do you know what I mean? No matter how many different decks I, I pulled up and then tens of ones in numerology. And I was just like looking at this reading and I was just, I don't, I don't understand this. I don't know how it could be. And the girl was like, what do you mean you don't understand it? And I was like, no, I understand what it's saying to you, but I've never seen anything like this before. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. It's also, yeah, it's like there's no middle ground in that either, right? Just, you know, from the beginning to the end, but where's where's the middle of the story, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, interesting. Um, you know, the ones that stick out more to me, honestly, are the readings that I've done where people actually acted as though there was no pandemic at all. Yeah. Those were the most surprising, you know, the people who would just come in and ask, you know, how's my love life this year? Am I going to meet someone? Should I go on this blind date this weekend? Like, oh, that was like all of, I mean, not all of mine, but like that, that's, <laughs> that's always like such a huge portion, but yeah, I noticed that too. Yeah. And, and again, you know, those readings are, are very common, right. In, in the industry, you know, I, I and I have nothing against uh, relationship and love readings. I'm happy to do that for people, but when, you know, when people um, some of my clients were just acting as though there was no, no lockdown, no restriction, nothing going on. They weren't worried and there was no mention of anything. And it was just kind of business as usual. And like, what's going to happen this year and what's coming up for me. And I just thought, wow, what is, what is up with, what is up with this? Right. Um, because on the other, you know, on the other side, you know, all of my other clients were mainly wanting to know things about the pandemic so it was kind of like okay it felt like I was dealing with two categories people who uh wanted to just act like there was no pandemic and then the people who were only concerned with the pandemic but maybe that's also reflective of how how this whole you know last two years have gone anyway where some people really are acting like nothing's going on right um yeah what yeah <laughs> <laughs> Um, do you ever feel like you're channeling um, when you're when you're reading? Hmm. That's an interesting question. Um, yeah, it's an interesting question. So, you know, my approach to tarot and, and the way I frame a lot of my work is that I'm a card reader, right? So I don't read, you know, I always tell people, I don't read your mind. I'm not reading your energy. I'm not reading your body language. I can pick up on those things for sure. If, you know, out of a practical nature, right? If I can tell you're uncomfortable, I might ask if you're okay, if you're nervous or something, you know, I mean, you know, but I'm not, I'm not doing some kind of energetic reading or getting, you know, some kind of psychic insight, uh, off of you in a way that's going to feel intrusive or in a way that's maybe going to imply that I'm reading your every thought or anything like that. And I, I, I like to preface that because I know sometimes people are worried about that when they go for readings, right? If they're not really used to that kind of work. Um, and when I teach tarot, I really do teach people how to read the images on the cards. Yeah, so that's right? what I do too, yeah. Yeah, it's a visual to me, tarot to. is a, yeah. it's a visual language. Yes, exactly. And, and every deck is designed a little bit differently. So that gives you, you know, nuance and different context and different ideas to play around with, depending on the deck that you're working with. And it really allows you, I think, to appreciate tarot as an art form uh, in and of itself. But I also find that once you, you know, you reach a certain point as a tarot reader where you are really in flow with that language, other things start to happen, right? So, you know, tarot can become uncannily accurate when you're not thinking about it anymore, right? When you're so used to looking at those cards and you know what to say and you know what to talk about that's sometimes when other things start to come through, right? Yeah. But it's because it's second nature, I think. It's because you're not, you know, you're not mentally 
working through the gymnastics of this process of thinking, okay, like, here's the wheel of fortune. Work? Yeah. And here's the five of pentacles and here's the seven of wands. And what does all this mean? If I read this card by card, when you're able to just be really fluent in it, it becomes like, you know, it becomes like writing. When you sit down to write something, you don't always know what you're going to say next. Yeah. Right. It just kind of comes, it does feel like you're channeling something you sometimes look back later and you're like, I have no idea where that came from. Sometimes when you're doing a reading for someone, you think later, I have no idea where that came from. That's exactly, right? that's exactly yeah. me too. Like, so I'll just say something that's so fucking out of left field, but like not even kind of like on the cards, you know, and mm-hmm. then, mm-hmm. and then like the client will, will be like, oh, or something, you know, I, yes, yes. I get phrases as well. You know, I sometimes will almost lose my own my own language momentarily and I'll say you know I don't know why this phrase keeps coming into my mind but if I don't say it and my tongue is going to be stuck on it so I have to just say it and then you can just tell me you know if this means anything to you or not and if not we'll just keep moving on but most of the time there's some kind of reason why I have to say that thing right yeah yeah but again, I don't know why that happens because again, like I'm just, I, I really literally am a card reader. I just read the cards. I didn't, you know, I didn't train myself to do things like that, but I find it just becomes a, a, a secondary um, aspect of being able to, uh, to read. Yeah. Read to the point where it is second nature for you. Yeah. I, I yeah. agree with that, but also I don't, I, I, I've asked a lot of people about this kind of thing, you know, and it's like, not, you know, not, not on a podcast, but I mean, sometimes, I mean, sometimes, you know, like, like everyone will have those kind of flashes from knowing the cards, but also I really do think some stuff is just like an information download from like, Mm -hmm. from whatever, like, and then I've had some really like crazy reading experiences with people where, um, you know, like I, I usually try to go into a reading very, uh, you know, without swearing or, or you know, just being professional <laughs> um, um, or, or, you know, like not making any total proclamations of stuff. And then, and then just suddenly there's something will blurt out or what, or sometimes I'll get some kind of an impression in my head where I'll be like, I, how am I going to say this to a client? Is it something horrifying? Like I, I was talking to one person last year and um she was she wanted to know how her kids with her ex-husband was doing and I got like this image of a neon sign that said incest so hard in my in my head and I was like and, and she was saying this and I was like like one part of my mind was telling the other part of my mind you can't mention this no way and then she said he's incarcerated for molesting one of my daughters. And I I got like, I just got goosebumps. Like, like how the fuck does that happen? You know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, have you, have you ever had stuff from readings like of people that are going through trauma or, or something like that, that just like, like, you know, affects or disturbs or shocks you? Cause I, even before the pandemic, lots of people would like, I'd work at a party this mm-hmm. day and um with other readers and at the end everyone would you know with readers or healers or you know palm whatever was mm-hmm. going on and at the end of the party like people would be going oh yeah this actress was really nice and this person this and that and then all of my readings were about 
horrifying shit like someone's brother had been murdered or someone had stillborn twins or you know and I was like how come those people came to me to read about this at a party you know I mean it was Mm -hmm. it was just like I I always wonder about that kind of stuff you know because I don't Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's like just it could have been anyone that they went to or if my energy attracted it or they thought that like I would be more understand I don't know do you ever have feelings like that about yeah yeah I haven't had anything I think that um that that was was would be associated with anything along those lines um but you know I have had things where you know people have really been struggling sometimes with um you know with other areas of their life right uh that are you know to the point where it's affecting everything it's affecting their work it's affecting their health it's affecting everything and you know in those readings sometimes it's almost like the cards are saying there's this one thing that is underpinning all of this. And this is the one thing that we have to talk about right now. And if we can kind of just get this cleared up, then there's going to be like a domino effect in that. Right. And it's, you know, it's, it's again, one of those instances often where it's not always what that person has come in to talk about necessarily. They haven't mentioned anything about it, but when I look at the cards, I'm like, what, you know, what happened to you 10 years ago? Yeah. (laughs) Right. Uh, Where it's like, you're, it's like your body is still stuck in this event from this time. And we need to talk about that first. And those are always, um, you know, I find very transformative readings for people, but again, mysterious for me because I'm like, how is it, you know, how is it so clear? Tarot, tarot yeah. always mystifies me, which I think might sound confusing for people because this is what no, I me do. Too. But it's one of those things where, you know, my logical brain is like, this should not work, right? It's, it's pictures on pieces of cardboard, yeah. but <laughs> somehow, you know, somehow it just gets under the surface with these things. And if you, you know, if you hit on, hit the right note with someone, it can really be very freeing for them and life-changing. Life-changing. That's exactly yeah. what I was going yeah. to say. Yeah. I know. I always say, sometimes say that to clients. I'll say, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you this, like you might, you can take this or leave this like advice. And I'm saying, but let's just get one thing straight now. Both of us are putting our faith in pieces of colored cardboard. <laughs> <laughs> that was so many things we said that too. <laughs> this is what the cardboard's telling me. Yeah, yeah. No, it's okay. I think it's good. It's good to to also name it though, because um, you know, it's it, yeah. It, it's it's. I I I really believe that we need to marry some intellect and logic along with yeah. the process of intuition and readings and all of that, um, because I. I, I actually find that that helps us to build trust with clients more than anything, right? More than just blind, unquestioning faith. Yeah. Um, it's okay to just kind of come out sometimes and, and call it like it is and be like, I can't always tell you why this works, but I can tell you that it does work. It works. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And then I, I've had people that like, I, I will tell them some things and then I don't hear from them for months. And, and then that they always come crawling back no no. I mean then they'll say I every when you were telling me that at you know at one point I was like this is complete bullshit this isn't what I came in for what is she talking about and then then everything came true 
<laughs> that must yeah. happen constantly. That, you know, I always find that's really interesting as well. I remember, um, you know, one time there's someone who came in to ask about moving. They were moving in, moving to another city. And I was looking at these cards and I was like, you know, I think you should be careful about who you're going to be living with. Right. And it was like, you know, I um, said, you're not living alone. Right. And she said, no, 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 I'm not going to be living alone. It's like, you know, I just don't, you know, whoever it is you're moving in with, like, it's not going to work out. I, you know, I think that you should, the, the move itself is fine, but you want to rethink who you're living with. And it was the same, you know, uh, she, she didn't believe me because it turned out she was moving in with her boyfriend and then, <laughs> and then, and then they broke up, they broke up and she was on her own. And, uh, and then she came back later and she was like, how did you know that? So uh, you know, I don't know. It's just, it's just, that's what reading tarot does. Yeah. <laughs> I, sometimes yeah. I just go, psychic. <laughs> I know that, that's what's so fun about teaching um students too like when 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 I'm teaching people and I'm sure when you are like you you know there's so many like variables and ways of like you you know what you what you tell them or when you let them know how bad shit it can be sometimes yeah I think though the, you know that's the thing I think people I don't want to deter people from doing it but one thing that I really work hard with with some of my students um is is managing the the naivete that can come into this kind of work right like it's hey. it is fun to read tarot it's you know it, it can be uh if you want to do it professionally it can be a great little business to have for yourself it can be very fulfilling but you need really 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 strong boundaries in many many ways and if you go into it just being like this is going to be fun and nice and easy you're going to get crushed really quickly right like you have to be very uh very grounded and centered I think within yourself so then when you know when everything else around you is <laughs> really batshit crazy or you're doing a party or something and you're getting a lot of really intense uh interactions with people you know that you're going to be solid and okay at the end of the night Yes. And okay, definitely. That's, that's like, that's a huge part of it that because I don't think people um, who don't read tarot, meaning you guys listening, some of you, you know, um, it's hard to imagine that just like sitting at tables and playing with, as we said, scraps of colored cardboard um, can be so draining. You know, yeah. it can really sap your energy. It can it can like put a pall over your mood for a while, or it can be like very elating. I mean, it's extremes. It's just, I mean, it's almost it's almost like a love affair. You know, when it's good, it's good, but when it's bad, it sucks so fucking hard. You know, like well, yeah, and you know, you're you really are doing a lot of work behind the scenes with people where often you're talking about their hopes and dreams, their fears, their priorities, right? Their deep and so traumas. Yeah. And when you're doing that and you're doing that for hours at a time and for years at a time, you know, you're really putting your own hopes and fears and dreams on hold for that time when you're working with your clients. Right. So there's, you know, you're, you really are making a lot of room in your life for other people's lives. And that is taxing if you don't have some kind of balance for your own time and your own self, and you don't make time and for your own priorities and hobbies and all of that, right? And I, I think that that's another way sometimes readers end up getting burned out is they give their all to their clients, 
And then they're so tired at the end of the day that they don't have any time for themselves. And you can easily lose your identity in this world, right? You can easily become unanchored from who you are uh, if you lose sight of your own interests. So we always have to remember that, that there's, a, there's a, a lot that we're giving here, but we need to give something back to ourselves too. That, that's, that's exactly true. I mean, you're, yeah, that for anybody that's listening, whether you're thinking of taking tarot classes or not, or, you know, this is also, this is also a good, um, like structure for daily relationships. <laughs> right. <laughs> of your energy. Um, yeah. <laughs> Chris, have you seen any, have you had any like paranormal experiences with ghosts or like just like crazy ass synchronicities and stuff like that. Oh yeah. Of course. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I figured you have, but like, you have better, um, like of note that you want to talk about. Um. Oh gosh. Is anyone listening? So, I never send people lists of questions. It just goes where it goes. Yeah, I like it. I like it. So in terms of, so one of my favorite synchronicities, I love synchronicities. One of my favorite synchronicities that has ever happened to me was that um, I went to uh, an astrologer when I was in my twenties. It was after I'd written my, my first book, Treat Me Like Dirt. I was a little bit lost because I didn't have a plan after that project had been finished. Um, I wasn't really happy with what I was doing in my life. And I went to this astrologer and he, you know, was looking at my chart. He's like, you should read tarot. I have a lot of clients who are just like you and they all read tarot and they really like it. And I had been into tarot when I was in, you know, high school, right. As I mentioned earlier, but I had kind of left a lot of that stuff off to the side when I was working on my book, because my book was all consuming and I was obsessed with it. And I get really deep into projects when I'm onto something. And so again, I kind of lost myself for a bit. And when he said that, I was like, oh yeah, I used to love that stuff. Why don't I do those things anymore? So I decided after that, I'm like, I'm going to go out and buy a tarot deck, but this time I'm really going to learn how to do tarot. Wait, now you're also saying shit that sounds exactly like what I went through at a point. I'm not kidding. Oh yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, so I went out, I got a tarot deck and then I was walking to my day job not long after and there was a, a pile of books someone had put out on the curb. And then the top of the pile was one of Eden Gray's books. I knew you were going to say Eden Gray. I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> it was right there. It was like, it was like, here you go. Here's how, you, you know, you got that deck of cards. Here's, here's a step to helping you learn how to read them finally. And I was like, this is wild, but great. It was great. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. So I'll tell you what happened to me, like along mm -hmm. those lines. Um, so I had, I had like let tarot fall by the wayside with like bands and my own bands and my writing and stuff like that. And mm -hmm. I kept having nagging things. I like go back to tarot, go back to tarot for ages. And then finally one day I was just like, okay, fuck it. And I looked for my decks. I looked everywhere. I couldn't find any of them. Right. So, um, I ordered, I ordered, you know, a Rider Waite Smith deck through the mail. And then, um, on the, on the day it came, I was so excited. I was like, woohoo, rock star, you know? And then, so I was playing with it for a little while and, you know, just mixing the cards up and stuff. And then I was like, you know, I need to do something responsible now, like, you know, that I don't want to do. So I was like, okay, let's deal with this insurance bullshit. And <clears throat> I went into the drawer where like policies were 
I pick it up and there's my first Marseille deck. And I was like, how did this get in here? And then that happened like every day for a week with different decks. Like I went into my, like I hadn't been in that drawer with the insurance stuff for ages. But the next day I went to get like snaps or something to sew on a costume, you know, a dance costume for my sewing kit, which I use every goddamn day because like I make costumes and they always need to get repaired. There was another deck in my sewing kit. I was like, I did not put this in here. And then it just kept happening. I mean, it was, it was, that's how I knew you were going to say that. Well, I, I knew you were going to say even great, but I didn't, <laughs> I don't know. That, that's also where I blurted it out. I know it's so weird, huh? Yeah. Oh, it, the people always say, you always say it's weird. You know, you should be used to it by now. And I never am. No, I mean, those surprises are always there. And actually I think it's, I think it's, it's good to be surprised by it because again there's you know there are lots of a lot of uh lines that are easily crossed in in this world and sometimes you know it's easy to see significance in everything and once you see significance in absolutely everything it becomes very hard to know what's important when you get an omen or a synchronicity or a sign so we can't uh we can't just build some kind of meaning into all of those moments it has to be surprising otherwise you wouldn't know to pay attention to it yeah it's got to be something Mm -hmm. that would like never happen but (laughs) exactly exactly yeah and you can't always be kind of looking for it you also just have to be living your life and 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 letting letting yeah letting yourself go throughout the day you know rather than um always kind of looking or expecting for something to happen right we just have to let ourselves be in the moment and be present too Mm-hmm. Yes, that's such good advice. <laughs> even for, even for anyone that doesn't read. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I've got um, I've got two last things I want to know, and then we should probably okay. say goodbye. No. Um, okay. Do you have any tarot tattoos? Uh, yeah, I do actually. What do you um, have? I have a really big tattoo on the front of my right thigh and it is uh from one of the cards in Barbara Walker's uh deck it's uh it's I'll have to I'll I I should send a I'll send it something some kind of post or something what what card Um, is it it's uh it's one of the pentacles cards um it's uh the one where there's there's a, a witch and she's kind of in a stonehenge type structure and it's really dark and she's kind of like conjuring a spell and it's a great one. Yeah. I have the wheel of fortune. Um, oh, cool. On, on my wrist. I want to get, um, I really want to get the, the high priestess, but I'm trying to figure out what to do with the columns because I don't want it to just, I don't want it to be a card and I don't want it to look, just look like a block stamp on me. So right right that's the tricky thing yeah I don't know (laughs) yeah yeah or get them to redraw it maybe as some kind of borderless shape that you can attach other stuff to. yeah yeah that's yeah yeah also this is gonna sound so sick but I know you'll understand (laughs) the cons if I tell it like if people see like a writer waits Mm -hmm. And it says Boaz and, and Hakeem. Everyone yeah. sees BJ and thinks blowjobs. Am I insane to say that? No, no. <laughs> it makes makes total sense. Makes total sense. Yeah, I don't blame you. Yeah. Yeah, people won't get it. <laughs> <laughs> what, do you have a favorite card? Um, do I have a favorite card? 
Um, you know, I like, to be honest, I, I've had favorite cards at different points in time. Um, but right now I don't have a favorite card because I enjoy thinking about tarot as a whole, right? Um, you know, I like, I like thinking that actually is one thing in one piece and that all the cards work together somehow. Um, so I've thought, you know, I, I've kind of less and less, I feel like I like to kind of focus on, you know, favorite cards or have preferred cards or anything, because I've realized all of the cards in tarot can be really great. Even yeah. the ones that don't always look as helpful or that aren't always as easily romanticized. Um, I've learned that, that, yeah, they all have their time and place in the deck and they make tarot what it is. Yeah. So it's Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the yeah. little people no <laughs> the little people yeah what's it do you have a favorite card um I have well I think I really I love the wheel of fortune and I got mm. that because that's what I feel like my whole life has been like it's just been constant changes and lots of synchronicities everywhere I mean mm. that's 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 I like that one but I mean I don't like you know pop up and down and clap my hands when it comes up <laughs> yeah <laughs> I mean, I've got, I've, I've had, I, I have dumb nicknames for some tarot cards um, that, that myself that, you know, that like my students find them out, but um, nobody, you know, other, other people don't really, I, I won't say it like really in readings or anything. Mm -hmm. Like, a, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I just, I just love the cards. They're, they're really like, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's a way of life it went beyond obsession I agree I think tarot is a lifestyle yeah so um tell tell do you have any um I'm just saying this this podcast uh, in case you're hearing this in the future this podcast is has been recorded in December of 2021 um but so if you if you have anything that's coming up in the near future for people that are listening to this as it comes out or soon, do you have any classes starting up early next year or anything? Yeah, I have. Uh, so, so for 2022, my aim, at least in this point of time, is to focus more on offering uh, professional development and business courses to uh, tarot readers. Uh, I think this is an area where a lot of us need a little bit of extra help. Yeah. So um, people can watch out for classes about, you know, how to better market themselves, how to set up their businesses properly, uh, how to develop stronger ethics, boundaries with clients, all of those things that end up kind of being sticking points for us. So oh, yeah. if, if those are up your alley, definitely give me a follow. You'll see a lot of those things from me. Uh, and uh, yeah, my aim really is, is just so that we can all help each other um, make the industry really awesome. Right. And, and, you know, cause I think a lot of times people feel like they're sometimes taken advantage of uh, as tarot readers. And so we just want to make it stronger and yeah, bring, bring as much legitimacy to it as possible. Yeah. And there's a, I always, um, I used to go on tarot groups occasionally, <clears throat> like on Facebook and stuff. And there was so much fighting that I was shocked that it was like more, more aggro than like the dance world. <laughs> it's, it's, there, there can be a lot of, yeah, there can be a lot of drama. And I always, um, uh, you know, unfortunately I kind of, I tend to steer 
students away from just random Facebook groups because I, I I've had some of them go into them kind of looking for people to practice with and stuff yeah. like that and they come out really discouraged um or you know they also find there's a lot of dogma in them where people you know see one person using one technique but it's not a technique that they know about or use and so they just say that's wrong and you're supposed to do it this way and yeah. you know I think I think something people have to be mindful of in online spaces and social media in general when it comes to tarot and other types of divination as well is that there are a lot of people who might not have as much experience as you think they do but they speak as though they have yeah. loads of experience and so we have to be careful who we're giving authority to which goes for anything really anything in this world right and yeah, and not to like um, <laughs> yeah yeah exactly like just you know I yeah, be careful who you're allowing to be your teacher, right? And your influence. Good. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. So you guys, that was Liz Worth. She is she is awesome. I can't wait till we live in real uh, till we live. I can't wait till we can meet each other in real life. It'll be so good. So good. Yeah, we have, to have a private uncensored Zoom together. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Yeah. Anyway, you guys, Liz Wirtz, tarot, punk rock, wonderful, smart, bitchin' woman there. Um, you'll you'll be able to find her through all of her social medias, which will be on the episode description of this. And um, bidding you adieu from the devil's music and i'll see you next time bye Mwah. went to the fortune teller had my fortune read i didn't know what to tell her The Devil's Music is written and hosted by Pleasant Gaiman. Produced by Aaron Alden. All sound design by Jerry Danielson of Busy Signal Studios. And of course, is part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Find all of our shows at pantheonpodcasts.com. Our social presence is at Pantheon Podcasts on Facebook and Instagram. Tweet us at Pantheon Pods. All songs can be found wherever you get great music. Please pick up these important and fantastic tracks. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 